As you remain standing in body or spirit, I invite you to join me in the fundamental confession of faith of the people of God in Jesus' day called the Shema. Of course, Jesus made it the basis of the great commandment. If you'll follow after me in Hebrew, we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We continue this morning looking in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and we're in the story of Noah and the flood. Last week, early in chapter 6, we got a look at the broken heart of God in the face of the great evilness of uh, creation at that time. And now we pick up uh, with Noah. I'll read some selected verses beginning in verse 9. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm going to destroy them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. And we skip to verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. The movie, The Darkest Hour, won an Academy Award for Gary Oldham, who played Winston Churchill. And if you saw the movie, or if you're familiar with the history, in May of 1940, Churchill becomes the Prime Minister of England, but his very first and most significant job is to stand against his war cabinet, most of whom are in favor of trying to reach out to the Nazis and make some sort of peace agreement uh, to capitulate uh, to Hitler in a way they think might preserve their safety. And so in the movie and in history, uh, uh, during this time, Churchill really stands alone uh, in wanting to resist the Nazis. And then, 10 months later, Churchill comes back and delivers one of his most famous speeches at the school where he had spent time, the Harrow School. And you may recall, because the refrain from the speech goes something like this. He says to the students, never give in, never give in, never, never, never. And then he reminds them that just 10 months ago, it was that their country stood alone against this uh, force that was trying to take over their country and the world. And of course, we know the outcome in a sense in standing alone, Churchill proved to be wise about uh, the Nazis and not to capitulate. And of course, Britain stood alone long enough until the United States came and joined the uh, war with them. One person standing alone can make a difference. Now, here we come to the book of Genesis, chapter 6 through 8. And it is, in a sense, the darkest hour up to this point for creation. The world is so corrupt and evil, and we've learned last week that they were so evil, that's all they thought about all the time. And so God has decided to end creation as we know it. And in this dark hour... There is one person who stands in the face of all the corruption and the wickedness on the earth. And this one who stands alone will end up saving creation and, of course, 
His name is Noah. What's uh, interesting is that the Bible often paints a picture of one person with God having to stand alone to make a difference in the world. One of the interesting things is that uh, many generations after Noah will come another man who must stand alone. His name is Moses. And we get an idea of what Moses is going to have to do because when he is young, his mother and sister put him in a little basket. But what's interesting is in the Bible, the same word for basket is the word that's used for Noah's ark. It's the only time this word is used in the entire Bible. It's almost as if the Bible is telling us Moses, like Noah, is going to have to stand alone. Moses will stand Pharaoh. Moses will stand against his own people. And on occasion, Moses will even have to stand alone against his family. But one person standing alone can make a difference. And I think that's one of the important lessons we learn about Noah in the scripture uh, this day. Uh, One of the things, uh, sadly, is to stand alone means, by definition, that you'll have a lot of people on the other side. A lot of people will not be with you. To stand alone means you're often against the many. That happened, of course, to Noah. That happened to uh, Moses, and it will happen for many others. Uh, Just by accident, a couple weeks ago, I was wandering through the um, stacks at Trinity Library, and I was reminded of a book written by a a guy that became one of the most famous theologians of the 20th century. His name is Reinhold Niebuhr. But his very first book was written in 1932, and it really got criticized. The book was called Moral Man and Immoral Society. And he was criticized because he talked about the power and wickedness of society, and that sin was not just in individuals, and that actually, often because of the wickedness of society, which was sort of great than the sum of its part, an individual might have to stand alone against society. And he wrote a book about the ethics of that. And uh, very progressive people at that time hated this book uh, because their idea was that society was a good thing. And the better that we organized, and of course, and the more we were together, the smarter we'd all become, and soon we'd educate ourselves out of war, we'd educate ourselves out of poverty, we'd educate ourselves out of uh, corruption and violence. And the book wasn't very popular. And then suddenly the fascists arose, and then the Nazis arose, and people began to realize that sometimes there's a group think. There is what we call a hive mind or a hive mentality. There's some power sometimes in a group that will cause people to do things that they might not do or say on their own. At this church, we love to lift up the value of being in community, that uh, there are things we can do to make a difference together that we could never do by ourselves, and that we're meant to be in relationship with God and each other. The Bible also can point out that sometimes... We have to stand alone against a larger group because sometimes in a group, people will do things that they would never do on our own. And if you don't believe me, attend a sporting event with a large crowd and watch normally mild-mannered, well-behaved citizens of society yell things at the opposing team and coach that they would never yell out on the street or in a, a, a meeting room or a restaurant or anything else. There's sort of a power sometimes that comes over a crowd or even watch the marches in Charlottesville of last summer. There's sometimes people will do things in a group 
that they will not do alone, and an individual must stand. And history is full of stories of individuals who sometimes have to go another way, have the courage to do that to make a difference. In 1787, he is a new member of parliament, 28 years old, a brand new Christian of only two years. His name is William Wilberforce. And he leads against the crowd for many, many, many years the charge against slavery in Britain and her colonies. Many, many years later, December 1950, December 1st, 1955, 42-year-old Rosa Parks takes a stand by not standing when a white person comes on the bus and demands her seat. And she doesn't, and she goes against the many. And then years, E, A.D., whatever you want to call it, There's a man who wanders Galilee in the face and opposition to King Herod and his forces and later makes his way into Jerusalem against the might and the power of Caesar and Rome, and he takes a stand uh, in ways that are against them in order to save them. History and the Bible are full of examples of people who had for a period in their life to go alone to make a difference. Churchill once said that courage is the first of all human qualities because it's the one that assures everything else. If we don't have courage, nothing else will come. So that got me to thinking this week. Uh, Why is it that sometimes I come up short in the courage area? Well, let's be honest. Why is it that often I come up short in the courage area? And I started looking at the story of Noah and looking at my own life, and I found there were a few things uh, that are different. The first thing is that oftentimes courage requires that you not have the approval of other people. And the approval of other people is, quite frankly, very important to me. I like being liked. Uh, and, and yet, uh, one of the uh, uh, scriptures about Noah in the New Testament is that Noah was, quote, a preacher of righteousness. One of the Jewish traditions about Noah is that he preached repentance for 120 years before the flood came and not a single person repented. He had to go against the crowd. They ask uh, President Harry Truman in his retirement, what do you think of opinion polls? His response was, well, uh, if Moses would have taken an opinion poll, he never would have stood against Egypt. And he said, if Jesus would have taken an opinion poll, he probably would have quit preaching. There is a sense sometimes where the crowd is not right, and so you have to get over the need for approval. I think sometimes another thing is what I see in Noah's life is a disobedience to build an ark is not a new thing for Noah. Noah has been walking with God for a long time, so this rather unusual request that God makes, Noah is used to doing what God says. We are told that Noah is blameless in his generation or among um, his people. So in other words, it is he's daily, daily having the courage to follow God against the crowd so that when the big call comes, uh, he is still able to do it. Courage is something that we don't develop in the crisis. Courage is something we develop as we go along so that we're ready for the crisis. Or as Pastor Matt is going to say this morning, you always have to build the ark before it rains. So there is that sense where uh, it is our daily life. I love what Brene Brown says about courage. She says courage is, is showing up and being yourself on a daily basis. It's, it's being vulnerable. It's being approachable. It's not acting as if you have it all together. And if we 
others on a daily basis, then we are able, when that crisis and that big moment comes, we'll be able to show courage as well. I think another reason sometimes I don't show the courage of Noah is that, quite frankly, I'd like to know how everything is going to end up before I take a step. I kind of want to know what the results of the outcome are going to be. But here's the deal. Noah's not seen rain to this point. If you read Genesis closely, the only way the ground got watered was from underneath. Water came up from the ground to water the garden and water the plants. Noah probably doesn't really have a clear idea of what what this is going to look like. He doesn't have all the answers, and he has to act anyway. I think about the great Martin Luther King Jr. who once said, you can't wait to see the entire staircase. You have to take the next right step. I also think in the Bible, remember Daniel's three friends uh, known to the Babylonians as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, they get ready to be thrown in the fire because they won't worship uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar gets, says, I'm going to throw you in the fire and I'm going to turn up the heat seven times and let's see if your God will save you. And their response was, whether our, our God's able to save us, whether our God will or not, we don't know, but we want you to know this king, we're not going to bow down and worship you. It was almost as if they said the outcome of this, we don't know, but we're going to take the next right step with this continued faithfulness to God. Sometimes I think I want to know the ending and that prevents me perhaps from being uh, courageous in the present when I don't know all the future. And then quite frankly, sometimes I think maybe I'm not good enough to take a step of courage. I'm not brave enough or wise enough or smart enough to speak out on something, so I might hold back. That's why I love what the rabbis said about Noah. Uh, Basically, the the, um, sentence on Noah in many translations reads, Noah was blameless in his generation. And many um, ancient Jewish interpreters basically said, Noah's a good man, but but what we're seeing here is that God's grading on a curve. But Noah's a good man to compare to everybody else. But there's no claim really even in using the word blameless that Noah is perfect in any way. Noah's better than everyone else at his time, but I don't have to be perfect to take a stand. In fact, I don't even have to be right. History doesn't have to even judge me to be right to take a stand. I just have to be faithful to do on what God is calling me to do in the moment, to say uh, what needs to be said or go where I need to go. Again, Martin Luther King Jr. said that our death starts to come on us when we are silent about things that really matter. And, and I'm silent sometimes because I want to make sure I'm completely right. And we can't know that we're completely right. So when I think about Noah and I think about me, I think it just boils down to one thing. And that is to be courageous, you got to overcome fear. Maybe fear of yourself, fear of other people and their disapproval, fear of not knowing or understanding our, uh, the, uh, the, the way the situation will come out. But I've been helped by this um, uh, to realize that uh, fear is always going to be present in our life. And our goal in life is not to be fearless. You may remember the name Melissa Gilbert among the many books she's written, one Eat, Pray, Love, and then one called Big Magic. I mean, she makes this observation. She said, the only truly fearless people in the world are psychopaths. You don't want to be like them. So you want to understand that you have fear. But she said, here's the deal. She said, when I'm getting ready to go out and and try to be creative and do something uh, brave, I will say to fear, you can come along for a ride because I know you want to, but you got to sit in the back seat and you get a voice, but no vote. 
And you don't get to look at the maps or touch the GPS. You are completely and absolutely forbidden to drive this car, but you can ride along. There's a sense in which we have to understand that fear is always going to be present, but will we give fear a vote as well as a voice? They asked General George Patton after World War II, were you ever afraid? And his response was, I was always afraid. I just learned not to give counsel to my fears. Will your fears get a vote along with their voice? Gilbert goes on to say that fear is actually quite boring because you know predictably what fear is going to tell you, and that is no, don't. Here's all the things that can go wrong. And so a life with fear is just the same life when you give in day after day after day. But a life of courage is quite exciting. And the Bible shows us that a life of courage might make a difference, not just for you, but for others, because one person can make a difference.